We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. So we are entering the public life section of this book. Dubliner so far has been a very conversational piece. It's personal and usually a look at the person from the inside. What's interesting about this piece is that it's actually a very external looking piece. It's very socially oriented and you can almost get a whole picture, an overview, I guess I should say, of Irish politics at the time. Take us away. <laughs> so when we talk about Ivy Day, first of all, uh, no, no shame to anyone out there because I know when you think of Ivy, you might think of the Ivy League schools if you're here in the U.S. particularly. But do you know what Ivy Day is in, in Ireland? I had to cheat and look it up because I was discussing this with my wife, and at first she thought I said Ivory Day, and I said, no, no, Ivy Day, and I said, I think it's the plants or flowers or something, and she goes, I don't think that's a plant or a flower, so I had to cheat and look it up. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Charles Stuart Parnell uh, was, he was kind of like a figurehead, the leader of the home rule movement. He, he had a lot of backing behind him, like it was when his career kind of ended with this scandalous Kitty O'Shea, adulterous behavior, you know, with a heavily Catholic, you know, Christian nation, you're going to see that they're going to reject him. And it just destroyed a lot of the homer movement that there are still people, the Parnellites that still believed in him and, you know, wore the Ivy pin and still believed uh, October 6th was, was the remembrance day. So Ivy day is his remembrance day. And that makes a lot more sense that him being a figure, the name of the story, and the whole story revolving around public life versus private life, and how those interact with one another, and then how they affect one another in the outcome. And I think there's a lot of good moments in here of knowing that piece of information is going to lend itself to understanding a lot more of, I think, what Joyce was trying to come across in this story. It's not the story, though. It's this book, right? Like this this whole idea of how the movement, you know, there, there's energy there, but do you see how listless the Dubliners are, right? Mm -hmm. Like throughout this whole piece, when people talk about paralysis, when people talk about how, you know, like in terms of modernism, when we look at these stories, how the stories just cut right at the precipice where change could happen, but it never does, right? And to summarize that around this, this major political event where this leader uh, didn't got up to the precipice of, of almost making the change, you know, as, as he got a lot of backing for people believing that Ireland should be its own independent country as opposed to uh, England, and then to just fall short. It's, it's so much of the energy of Dubliners. Well, it just goes to show that a lot of times around a movement, it does take a great person. And when Parnell dies, there's a power vacuum and there's nobody to fill it. And everybody talks about a good game, but they never deliver. They never do anything. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened in real life. And that's what happens in this story. It very much mirrors that, that these guys, they sit around and they talk big and tough, but there are no action. They're all bluster. Well, there's something to be said about authority with, with Dublin as a whole, right? Because the sisters, you know, you never really met 
the priest, right? He passed away and we just learned about him through others. Uh, Evelyn was kind of trying to lead her family, but was struggling and such. You've got Mrs. Kearney from a mother who was trying to find the committee. Remember, like, where's this committee? Who's making the decisions for when these plays are being put on? There's something to be said about that power vacuum, about how authority itself generally doesn't show up in a lot of these stories. There's something to be said about feeling the effects and being down under without being a leader. And do you think that this is obviously, to me, uh, I I know my answer, uh, do you think this is Joyce uh, just picking on the Irish that that as a whole, their group was indecisive and that without a strong leader, they just pittered around that they wouldn't they wouldn't go through with anything. They just were acceptance of the English dominating. They just so much acceptance in their history. And without that one powerful person, they fell right back into their old tropes again. I think. There's, 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 you gotta be careful how you position it, right? And I'm not saying anything you said was wrong. I'm saying the way I would position this is when I look at Joyce's writings for Dubliners as a whole, and particularly the story, he's so good about being this camera that just follows around and perfectly describes the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. You know exactly what people look like. He describes them perfectly. You know where they're standing versus, you know, when you read Ulysses, there's no descriptions. Like, we, we don't know what anyone looks like, right? You just hear about it through dialogue, <laughs> basically. Well, he he's so good at just describing the is that I, even though I know it's his angle, even though I know it's what he believes, we come to similar conclusions just based on the the way people are reacting. We can we can sympathize and understand the plights, basically. And I don't think it's like a, a moralizing finger shake. I think it really is. He's just like putting it out there and really is the camera capturing the problems, even though he's abroad and writing to his brother Stanislaus, like, hey, is 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 there actually an election in October in Ireland? Remind me. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think about as we come to the conclusion of this book and and not maybe again, this story in particular, but as a whole of Joyce is criticizing, but also the fact that Joyce is a public figure and maybe not as famous back then as he is now. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I feel like is is he self-deprecating a little bit too, that he is a part of this problem and he's trying to do the best he can with writing these stories and getting this information out to the the Irish people to, to rally them up together? Or is he just kind of giving up that he's a part of, of this complacent problem? Well, I think let's, let's, let's dive into this story, right? Because the tone, right? What's the setting of this story? Nationalism? Uh, no, the setting. So we're in like a, a bare room. It's dark. Oh, oh, right? oh, oh, oh. Right, literally like the, the, the setting. Yeah. Okay. Like literally like, remember like the embers are dying, right? So you, so you have a, a dismal look, right? With the caretaker that's young, but has gray hair and such. And what are we doing? We're, we're waiting to get paid. We're, we're waiting for the power vacuum, Mr. Tierney to show up, but does he ever show up? No. <laughs> and we go through this event where we learn about the opponent who's a working man and, you know, he will stand up for what's right and he won't get caught hanging out with those dirty Germans. Right. Because, again, I don't think a lot of people who aren't history bus will know what's going on. But 
the the king of England at the time did have some German heritage, had been caught doing infidelity. And oh, wow, that looks really similar to what uh, Charles Stuart Parnell went through in terms of his infidelity case. And the Irish wouldn't stand up for that. They're certainly not going to stand up for that for this king that is oppressing them, ruling them through military, police and such. Um, we have a, a dark, tough opening with, with very little flames, right? But you'll notice by the end, party's popping, right? We got we got this uh, priest that might be an actor. <laughs> Father can't show up. <laughs> Definitely <right>? entertaining. <laughs> yeah. We got Henchy, the little boy that starts streeting, Crofton Lions. I, I may be messing up those names, but you got a lot more people showing up and a lot more conversation. But But what is that conversation, right? Like when they're sitting there talking about the king, and they're like, you know, are, are the people going to receive him, right? Like like in terms of, you know, the king coming over, dating the story about 1903. Wh- what does that mean? Uh, I guess it's that pull between like the royalists and those that are more into the politics of, of who is going to go where. And they don't know what choices they're going to make, who they're going to vote for. And you have kind of this ir- early pull between almost like conservative and liberalism, I feel, of of, of the monarch versus politics in, you know, Ireland and England. Do you think if we look at them as being canvassers, right? People that are supposed to be going out eliciting votes for people, for their candidates, are they doing a good job? No. <laughs> they're, they're sitting around a lot. Right. And even, yeah. even in terms of like, you know, when he lights his cigarette, like he's kind of like waffling back and forth. Like, should I wa- Should I roll it? Should I not roll it? Uh, and then when he lights it, he uses like the advertising card, whatever it is to like light the cigarette. I think he might've done it twice, but anyways, he, he's not really being respectful of these things that are supposed to be pushing for, for change, right? Like the, this is supposed to be the nationalist leader, but oh, wow, he'll do whatever's right for England. Mm, does that mean that that guy might actually side with England? Or I said, I'm sorry. He said he would do whatever was right for Ireland. But what does that mean? Does that mean he would side with England if that made Ireland better? Yeah, he tries to justify the king as well, uh, saying, you know, well, he's not such a bad guy. You know, he's just a dude like us. And I feel like a lot of their problems revolve around all they care about is drinking. And again, I, I feel like that's a little unfair of Joyce of kind of stereotyping or maybe this is what creates the stereotype. But it's just like. Beer and booze, beer and booze, beer and booze over and over. Yeah. Well, we don't even have to pay the Irish, right? We just send them some stouts, and apparently that's what makes them happy. (laughs) Yeah, too true. That's so awful. (laughs) (laughs) Choice said it, not me. Um, But what does that mean, right? Does when, When we talk about that power vacuum, and we... We saw in after the race, they don't have the economic prosperity to to move forward, right? Like the Ireland of today with all these corporate headquarters over there and such and, and the, the amount of money flowing into Ireland, nothing like back then, right? They didn't have the prospects. They didn't have the drive, right? You had like Farrington just going through the same things day in, day out. Little Chandler, for example. Uh, you have all these people who aren't making a change. And now we're in public life for the people that are literally being paid to make change. And they sit around in this room for half the day, lighting the cards that are supposed to be advertising on fire for a candidate they don't even believe in and sticking up for this movement that they wish was still happening, pointing to that Ivy pendant, but doing nothing for. And this is where my take on it was that Joyce was being critical of the Parnell movement and the loss of effort behind it and 
the criticisms of the king, criticisms of the politics, criticisms of the people, and that nobody was just doing anything and that unless somebody rose up, nothing was ever going to get done. When we when we edit these talks, like there's always like that that am I tempering my my tone too much? Um, it's hard to make change. Indeed. Getting up and changing politics, changing uh, incredibly hard. Like I don't want it to come off like I'm like like why why weren't they doing this? So that that's one statement. But you have these quotes that uh, like Mr. Crofton here is one of my favorite quotes from the story. Said Mr. Crofton sat down on a box and looked fixedly at the other bottle on the hob. He was silent for two reasons. The first reason, sufficient in itself, was that he had nothing to say. <laughs> the second reason was that he considered his companions beneath him. Right. Hmm. So even here, you have a little bit of that power discussion, too, where he's like, he thinks he's better. But then, you know, like in terms of like the noblesse oblige, should you use, you know, advantages you've been given in life? If you're in a better position or you think you know better, shouldn't you spread that wealth? Shouldn't you push for better for everyone and such how do you share that gift that you have that other people in Indiana have as a gift and to me i think you might see a lot of people squander it as you do in real life right like there's certain pleasures we indulge in and it can be hard to stick your neck out and make change but that is surely what ireland needed and surely what james was most critical of of, of them not taking that step but i don't even know if it was like a finger wag so much as a yeah this is what's happening guys well, there's a lot that is going on in Dublin at the time. There's a lot happening in the world at the time. These are very religious Catholic people. They're used to a certain way of life. There, there's a status quo, and change is difficult, as you said. And change for an individual is, is hard. Change for a society is near impossible. And even if when it does change, it's at a glacial pace. So I, I think that one thing that we can kind of take away from maybe the Dubliner as a whole as well is that you're going through the steps of life, so is Ireland, and that mm. it, it's going to take some time for growth, and there's going to be growing pains, and that as you move through life, then you'll start to find answers, and then you'll start to improve, and then things will get better, and then mm -hmm. you'll su surely see change, or at least that's the hope. And I think that was Joyce's hope, was that there was going to be change and that he could be helpful and instrumental in that because he knew he wasn't going to see it in his lifetime. I love your optimism, my friend. Uh, I'll say this, <laughs> the uh, ivy is a fast growing like plant, right? And if you, I mean, Emerald Isles, it's not a surprise. Like even their trash cans have green on them sometimes, like in terms of grass, uh, fast growing resurgence of Ireland. Like that's kind of like what ivy stands for. And at the end, let's talk about that poem at the end where I'll just say he reads a poem and the men are moved by it. What is your reaction to that ending poem? Doesn't this feel like kind of the juxtaposition of the story of finally everybody gets it and they are they're on board? And I felt like it's almost too little too late. Some people have pointed out that it might have been a little bit hammy in some regards that there's belief that this could have been a young James Joyce age nine ish when he wrote a poem to Parnell because his family were heavily Parnellites, right? They, they were drinking the Kool-Aid. They, they were pushing for it <laughs> and this could Makes have sense. been kind of, but, but that's kind of, that could be why it's a little forced, a little, not, you know, super smooth, but at the same time, I don't know. Joyce wasn't the greatest poet, but the, maybe one of the best lyricists ever when it came to prose, if that makes sense. 
Um, bold statement there, but I, I guess I guess he had it figured out by the time he got to Ulysses. Uh, but chamber music didn't quite take off the way that perhaps Ulysses did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's corny, but I mean, it served its purpose, right? I mean, maybe we're only talking about it because it's so... I don't even know how to describe it, but I mean, if it had been good, would we still be talking about it the way we are? If it had been bad, would we have just glossed over it because we don't want to waste time talking on it? So I feel like it served its purpose, and that's saying something, mm-hmm. especially in a in 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 a set of short stories. In my opinion, probably near perfection, and one of the greatest, if not the greatest, collection of short stories ever. Oh. Easily greatest collection of short stories, in my opinion. Uh, And this was actually James Joyce's favorite one. I mentioned in our mother talk that outside of Ivy Day, that the mother was the one that pleased him the most. This was his favorite talk. And I think it's because, you know, I mean, think about nine years old, writing a poem about Parnell, right? Like this was a big part of his life. I think it was a big part of his movement. So in 1891, when, when it all came to a crashing end, you know, it's kind of, kind of devastating. And I think, I think there's always kind of hope there. And I think that when you look at the care put into this story, how it's a, an entire microcosm of the politics of Ireland at the time, it's fascinating. Like you can read this from a lot of different angles and I know we cover this very quick, but you know, when you look at it as a whole, this is a, a playlist that's probably going to total four and a half, five hours or something. And, and there's still so much to be said about this collection. So maybe one day we'll revisit it. <laughs> Leave us a comment down below if you want us to. <laughs> Playlist down below to continue along the journey. We'll see you guys in the next story. Una out. Peace.